The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. So, what's up, dude? <laughs> so much is up. Uh, <laughs> you know, you really stirred the pot this last week with your open letter to Katie Compton fans. And without <laughs> getting too deep into it, without relitigating the whole <laughs> thing, or the whole case, it's like the Scopes monkey trial... Do you think the reaction to her positive test was fundamentally different, maybe more evolved and thoughtful than it would have been 10 years ago? Because that's that that was my vibe. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd have to agree with you. Um, I mean, I I kind of so the two primary responses. Both of them surprised me. One, the fans flipping out. And going, she's got way too much integrity for this. She would never do this. You know, she mm-hmm. is descended from, I don't yeah. know, saints or whatever. Right. Uh, that surprised me, which is the whole reason I wrote that. But then all the people who were like, yeah, exactly what I thought. Tyler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tyler's everybody said Tyler was too good to do this. Uh, sorry, Tyler Hamilton. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I didn't expect a lot of people to say I remember Tyler's excuse. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I never believed this for a second. So that part was oddly gratifying. I mean, the mm. thing is a mess. Nobody wants to see a 15 time national champion get popped for doping, but at the same time, she was a 15 time national champion. The only question to me was whether or not she was ever going to get caught. Hmm. I'm not that cynical. Uh, I, I am. I'm kidding. <laughs> I know. I know. 15. 15. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. That's right. I mean, I think, you know, if it walks like a duck, it's probably mm-hmm. a duck. And that's sad to say about pro athletics. And I that's across the board. You know, there there are a lot of sports that don't talk about doping, but it's th- it's it's there. It's everywhere that money's to be made. Yeah. Um. And I'm not saying that Katie did it or didn't do it. I don't. And I, and frankly, I don't care. I don't care very much at all. Um, mm-hmm. I do think, you know, humans do things for human reasons. So I think if she did do it, uh, which it appears she did, then I'm very sorry for whatever took her to that place. And I hope she can work all that the disappointment, the whatever, whatever the correct emotional response is, I hope she can get there on her own. I don't, I'm not here to, uh, flagellate her further, but you know, it's, um, it's sadly predictable. The whole situation is sadly predictable. Mm, Indeed. Whatever the actual situation is. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and one of the things that's really sad is, I'm going to figure that she probably was clean in the early part of her career. I know not everybody thinks that, 
but I want to say I I bet her first I, I don't know three or four or whatever some portion thereof were clean, but now that she's tested positive, it has tainted the entirety of her career, and yeah. that that that's really sad. Yeah, it's a real bummer. It's a yeah. real bummer. So yeah, and and whether she you know I don't want to. Uh, alert the moral hound dogs uh, of, <laughs> of hell on this. But, you know, whatever she did or didn't do, she also put in just an unbelievable amount of work either way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like my, my, my basic take on, on doping and, and Tyler is germane here. And so are a lot of the other people. I understand that they did what they did because they felt like they had to do it. They did a deal with the devil. Heck, in their shoes, I might have done the same thing. I get it. I'm not here to judge or tell them they're terrible or or, or any of that. Um, it's when you bully people and, you know, when you go beyond, when you are yourself not kind, that's when I have a problem with you. And I think that's sort of what differentiates the the people who I do judge from those that I don't. Well, that's an interesting one because that, that recalls what uh, Katie Compton had to say about another racer that she was up against uh, Betsima. Um, Hmm. I can't remember her first name right now. Uh, She tested positive, got a six month suspension and Compton went on kind of a tear saying that that wasn't good enough. Uh, I'm also reminded of Bobby Julik, uh, and what he had to say about Tyler after his gold medal at the Olympics. And it's like, these guys have got to stop doping. And then what happens later on? Oh, it comes out Bobby Julek doped. Yeah. You know, uh, but those sins aren't still aren't as bad as, yeah, the bullying of Lance Armstrong, the phone tapping of Lance Armstrong, the, you know, uh, the dropping the dime of Lance Armstrong. Uh, I was trying, I was trying not to use the, the man's name just oh, as a, like I didn't want to yeah, I, well, I didn't want, you know, there's a, a level where you're cynically, not cynically, but I, I don't want any uh, idea that we're invoking the name of the Dark One in order to gin up the game, so to speak. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that yeah. is an order of magnitude different. <laughs> but it was a very, it was a very interesting response. And I was very heartened, actually, by the people who said, oh, yeah, this is a bummer. It does look like it happened. And it's a bummer and I feel bad for her as well as feeling like, yeah, well, that's the wrong thing to do. Like the nuance to it is nice Mm -hmm. that we've, you know, largely speaking, we've evolved on, on the topic. Yeah. I I'm glad that people aren't immediately pulling out the black cowboy hat and turning these people into the worst possible villains of all time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all absolutely shades of human frailty in my view. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that that whole aspect of what drives someone and and uh, how you respond to the implicit pressures of doping that might make for another pull sometime. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we, it would be nice to talk about it in a generic scenario where there's not a specific doping case. Mm-hmm. It would it would be difficult, but I think navigating the moral uh, morass of it morass is the wrong word the moral obstacle course of it because you know we've discussed this offline and said you know 
in the same position as a lot of these people, we probably would have made the same choices. I, you know, if I say anything other than the fact that I am fallible and have been known to make some really bad decisions in my past, um, Mm. you know, I would deserve to be struck by lightning or have a a meteor fall on me or a 747. Mm. Uh, I've, I've made some colossally bad choices and, in every instance, justified them by some means that was uh, <laughs> indefensible. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, my biggest problem with this is cycling fans want a clean sport. Full stop. They right. don't they don't want to have to worry about, you know, people taking things that uh, might be shortening their lifespan or giving them cancer or whatever. People just want clean sport. They want to have some sense that uh, if they had the talent and the time to train, that that maybe could have been them. They don't want to confront these moral dilemma. Um, mm. And I I totally get that. I And that's knowing that every time I wrote about the outcome of another race, that the specter of doping was in the background there, you know, mm. Did the person raising their hands at the end of the race actually do it unassisted, so to speak? Um, And so, you know, I I get that desire to see clean sport. And that's been my frustration with pro cycling is they the the message has been delivered to everyone and it's been delivered by every form of media possible you know text message it's been painted on mm. the sides of their houses and the sport doesn't get it so i don't know what to say about it well i think it's a it's a bug in the human programming yes yeah well that, I, that, yeah it's a bug not a feature that's for sure right <laughs> all right well what's your pull on this week well We've talked about heat and humidity in past weeks because it's summer and that's the Mm -hmm. thing you talk about in summer. But what I want to do today is help people understand a couple basic things about humidity specifically and how that changes the game. Mm, mm, It does every time. First of all, if you read the weather report, uh, and I know that you do, you'll be familiar (laughs) with the idea of relative humidity. This is the uh, the statistic that meteorologists tend to give in conjunction with a temperature, mm-hmm. thinking that that's going to communicate something meaningful to people. And what I want to do is tell you that relative humidity is garbage. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> or it yeah. doesn't mean what you think it means. So today, for example, here, it's forecast to be 90 degrees mm-hmm. air temperature mm-hmm. with 77% humidity. That really so, does communicate something very specific to me. Well, discomfort. Well, yes, discomfort. <laughs> so this is where we get into people's misconceptions of what that means, though. Many will read that and think, oh, only 77% humidity, not too bad. <laughs> eh, wrong. <laughs> they think a high relative humidity correlates to a very humid day, but that's not the case. So you, you'll hear people say like, oh, it was 100 with, you know, 99% humidity. But that would mean that the dew point was 99 degrees, which is yes. not a thing that transpires. Um, so what 77% humidity means is that the dew point, which is a much, much better measure of humidity, will be 77% of 90 degrees, 
which is not 70 degrees. The dew point mm-hmm. is 70. Yep. Now, here's the real skinny on humidity. If the dew point is over 60 degrees Fahrenheit, I apologize to all our Celsius listeners. <laughs> if the dew point is over 60 degrees Fahrenheit, it feels muggy. Yeah. That's when you start to feel, oh, it's humid. Dew point over 60. At 70, at a dew point of 70, no matter what the air temperature is, it feels oppressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Truth. So, for example, if the temperature was 75, which is relatively cool, mm-hmm. and the dew point was 70, then your relative humidity is 93%. And even though the air is cool, it'll feel pretty bad outside. Wet blanket. Yeah, wet blanket. Yeah. As another mm-hmm. example, if it's 45 degrees air temperature and the dew point is 40, that's 89% relative humidity, which people would think, oh, it's very, you know, that is going to feel bad. But you wouldn't feel that heaviness in the air at all. A dew point of 40 just doesn't register as humid. But the wind will go through you. I can verify that firsthand. Yeah, there are there are ramifications, but they're not <laughs> the feeling that you think you're going to have with a high relative humidity like that. So to recap, yeah. humidity is about dew point. And I really wish the the weather people would just say they would stick with dew points. And the dew point just... <clears throat> I'm going to be real like this for a minute, but the dew point is the temperature (laughs) to which air needs to be cooled to be saturated with water vapor. Mm -hmm. So over 60 degrees and it's humid feeling over 70 and you're pretty bummed out. Yeah. Yeah. So why am I giving a meteorology lecture on a cycling podcast? I mean, the answer is obviously hydration. We ride outside mostly. Yeah. Cycling is an outdoor activity. Well... I guess some people would disagree with that, actually. (laughs) But I'm going to stick with that cycling happens outside. So um, that so humidity challenges your hydration. I sweat excessively. Uh, That has something to do with having a high core body temperature. But I also take an SSRI, uh, which is an antidepressant. And Mm -hmm. this particular SSRI makes me sweat more than I might normally. Mm. So... When you sweat, you lose moisture, but more importantly, you lose sodium, magnesium, chloride, potassium, and calcium. Mm -hmm. These turn out to be critical in your ability to maintain blood flow and blood pressure. Yeah. And as soon as your blood pressure drops, uh, your arteries will contract, constrict, and that'll drive your heart rate down which is one of the things that you experience when you're dehydrated. So several times this summer, I've come up against a level of depletion that left me woozy, lightheaded, unable to raise my heart rate, and generally miserable. Um, Sweat is how your body cools, so you really do want to sweat, but humidity keeps that sweat from evaporating efficiently. And that amplifies your sweating and depletes you faster. So this is not a secret. I'm not telling anyone. This is not, a, this is not breaking news. Everyone knows that, right? What I'm getting to, admittedly a lot more slowly than everyone would like, <laughs> is just how important it is to replace those electrolytes on the hot and humid days. Again, that's not a secret. But you got to ride with something more potent than water. In fact, on the hottest, most humid days of summer, I've been drinking electrolyte mix doubled in strength. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also bring along salt tabs. So if you sweat like I do, electrolyte mix alone doesn't keep up with the rapid fluid loss. 
and mineral depletion that I experience. And salt tabs are a fast way to replace those. Also, they weigh nothing. I'm going to get into this a little more in Paceline Picks, but do you have a good hydration strategy for long heart rides? Uh, I like Scratch Labs an awful yeah. lot. Yeah. Um, for for just rides, mountain bike rides, where I'm using a hydration pack, uh, I won't actually put any scratch in there, but I'll be eating uh, gels um, that you know are tuned to replace a lot of that stuff. Um, I, you know, I hate dealing with mold and cleaning out, you know, hydration platters for a race. Yes, I will ask, I will absolutely put scratch labs, um, in, in the hydration platter, uh, to make sure that I'm doing everything correctly. Uh, I, I'm fortunate that I don't run into cramping. Um, but I've certainly run into uh, the effects of dehydration. You know, if your blood volume drops uh, hydration by 3%, you'll see a fall off in your performance. That's all it takes. Mm. Um, and uh, I was taking a drug right about this time two years ago. Uh, I got bitten by a tick and had a bullseye on the inside of my right arm and thought, "Lo, this is not good. <laughs> right. Uh, and so they gave me doxycycline, um, a -hmm. pretty powerful antibiotic. It turns you into a vampire, um, because being in sunlight in doxycycline, uh, it's, uh, uh, discomfortable. Yeah. Um, I thought you were required to drink virgin blood at that point. Uh, if I'd been able to get a big enough supply, I absolutely would have. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I, but I mean, seriously, like going outside in direct sunlight, it, it was uncomfortable. Oh. Um, and what I didn't understand when I went to do a mountain bike race that I thought, you know, well, this is in the, this is in Jackson demonstration forest in Mendocino. It's Redwoods. I won't be in the sunlight at all. There were a couple points where I crossed logging roads and it felt like I was on the surface of the sun when I did so. Mm-hmm. It also made me sweat like crazy. Mm. And I simply could not keep up with my hydration. And toward the end of the race, I was just utterly done. Mm. I was able to wring my clothing out at the end. Oh yeah. That's a very regular experience. That's every ride for me. Holy cow. That pints, pints of liquid are leaving my kit every ride. Wow. So maybe you should just have scratch labs in an IV form. (laughs) Well, I do. I put like on a really hot day, I will double them in the hydration pack. And I have a I have this cool drying system for my hydration pack. So cleaning it is I just am committed to it now. Mm. Um, Maybe that's a paceline pick for a later day. But um, (laughs) uh, yeah, so I double that. And I have on like efforts north of three hours consumed a liter and a half out of the hydration pack doubled electrolyte two packs of gels um and a handful of salt tabs and and just kind of squeaked through like that yeah i mean that's not many calories over the course of that period of time oh oh yeah i mean i'm also eating like a bar and other you know i'm oh, I'm, okay. I'm i am also fueling but The other thing that's important about when you when you're sweating like this and you're a cyclist is that you're actually depleting calcium as well. And bone density, especially as you get older, is an issue. 
Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you are, if you need to be consuming calcium all the time and more so as you get older. So if you're doing, if you're only cycling, for example, and you're not doing any weight bearing exercise, which, you know, like a bone hardening thing, like running or really anything on your feet, um, mm-hmm. then you are compounding, uh, a problem of older cyclists, which is you're making your bones more brittle. Yep. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> Would I think if I recall correctly, you're better at explaining wet bulb temperature than I am. And it seems like we ought to hit that. Oh, wet bulb temperature is a combination of heat and humidity at which point actually your sweat doesn't evaporate at all. Yeah. Um, And at that point, it doesn't matter what you put into your body. It doesn't help. Right. Right. Nothing is going to make you comfortable except Nothing going is, inside. That's right. So I, I did encounter a wet bulb temperature like six weeks ago uh, and tried to exert myself. And I basically sweated out without gaining any of the temperature shedding advantages. And um, I mean, it felt awful. It felt yeah. awful. And, you know, the, the this is one of the tragedies, uh, one of the tragedies of um, the climate crisis is that we are going to be experiencing more wet bulb temperatures uh, in more geographical locations than we have ever. Yeah. Humans are this not might... going to deal well. <laughs> and you will actually, yeah. even though you're consuming things, you will still, um, you will die. If you are held in a wet bulb at a wet bulb temperature for a period of days. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this may not be uh, technically correct, but my experience of wet bulb temperature is uh, the temperature at which you cannot open your iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, for me, that's pretty much every every ride. <laughs> After an hour, I try to open my face. Forget it. The screen is like, you're, you're dead. This is an M. Night Shyamalan movie. You're Bruce Willis. She loved you, but now it's over because you're dead. <laughs> well, Siri, Siri's here to break it to you. <laughs> we, we've got an eight-year-old with, uh, with psychic powers. That's right. Uh, to help you through. Yes. That's right. Um, yeah, that's the one thing my my life lacks is the psychic eight year old. <laughs> yeah, mine mine too. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a break and we'll we will be back in just a minute. The pace line is brought to you by the Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader supported, with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. 
Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. What do you got for us this week, Patrick? What's your pull? So there's a spot where I park before my West County mountain bike rides that is passed by road riders on the regular. Uh, most mornings as I get ready, I'll see between half dozen and a dozen different riders. Um, the spot where I see them comes following a bit of a descent and Honestly, every way out of there either leads to a descent or a climb. Uh, you've you've got flat for maybe uh, 40 feet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you don't ride through this spot if you're not comfortable with technical descents. OK, mm-hmm. you're just not going to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple years ago, I began noticing a trend among the riders passing through. I started seeing fewer bikes with rim brakes. Uh, some of that I'll say can be attributed to the number of gravel bikes I see, um, as there are some truly terrific dirt roads around there, but the majority of riders I see are passing on road bikes. And this summer I realized just recently, I've only seen a single rider on a road bike with rim brakes. Um, it's a, it's a trend that has surprised me now. I recall, I want to say it was 2011, maybe it was 2012, and I got together with the guy who was then the product manager for Specialized, um, and we were talking about the advent of uh, disc brakes on road bikes, and he told me by 2020, most all the road bikes will have disc brakes on them. And I was like, really? Are you really sure about that? (laughs) Um, And I get that we are now a year out from 2020, but, uh, you know, even a year out from from what he was projecting, it sounds like he was more right than even he understood. Um, I just I'm sort of staggered by how thoroughly this has changed over, especially given our experience you know, previously with Red Kite Prayer and what we were seeing in the comments sections, uh, section uh, from readers, we were seeing a whole lot of comments from people saying, "Uh, uh-uh, no, I'm not going to go to disc brakes. I've got a perfectly good bike. That's not going to happen. And it sort of makes me wonder if the great majority of people, you know, really have been just okay with this transition. Um, I've certainly talked to some people and had them tell me, you know, that they're just a lot more comfortable uh, braking and controlling their bike. They feel more confident on descents these days. Um, And that's been a pretty awesome thing to hear. And I've given some thought to this. And I think one of the big things I, I, I can say this for me, I can't say it for anybody else, but I can say for me, you know, the better I can control my speed with braking without having to pull really hard on the lever, the more comfortable I am. And I'm wondering for you, I mean, to what degree are your bikes at this point, all disc brake, you know, the not flat bar stuff. How many of your bikes are, uh, are disc brake. And I mean, has that really made a difference in your own cycling experience? I, my, I don't ride road bikes a lot these days. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm in a, I'm in a dirt trend. 
you know, Mm -hmm. the pendulum swings. (laughs) Um, But my road bike is a rim brake bike. Mm -hmm. Now, two things about that. The first thing is that it's a custom bike. So Mm -hmm. it's made for me and it fits me like a glove and it behaves exactly the way I want it to in any given moment. So it's a it's a perfect bike. There's no reason for it to go away. And I enjoy riding it every time. Having said that, and I was an original hater on the idea of road disc. <laughs> um it's it's because well, I mean I was mad really at the beginning of the disc break uh revolution let's call it because Mm -hmm. and these are the sort of things that bother me the industry had spent so many years telling us lighter 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 but now we're gonna put a pound of brakes on your bike (laughs) and this is what you have to do and i was sort of like that is so that is such a craven bit of hypocrisy (laughs) and i know i know i know i'm being one of those guys but having said that i think it's also true even people who feel like i do and i have drop bar disc brake bikes as well my gravel bike is uh has disc brakes um what's true i know from um industry-wide demographic research i've seen is that People who ride bikes, people who self-identify as cyclists will buy at least one bike in a five-year period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so over the last 10 years, they've encountered a marketplace that is overwhelmingly disc brake bikes. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the manufacturers don't want to be building a lot of two different things. It makes their forecasting and manufacturing more complicated and more expensive. Yep. So, you know, it's been a few, three, five seasons now that if you go and look for a road bike, they're mostly equipped with disc brakes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and if you do the simple math that within five years, someone's going to buy a new bike, odds are no matter what they believed initially, now they're riding a disc brake road bike. Yeah, very true. Uh, And, you know, to be fair about this, you know, uh, the whole full transparency thing, I was a naysayer at the beginning. I absolutely was. And some of that was maybe a little bit egotistical, you know, me thinking, well, I'm I am on the regular taking in some of the most technical descents that you can find in the United States, the, the Canyon Roads of Malibu. And I get those I get down those just fine with a rim brake bike. So we don't need disc brakes. Um, You know, that was that was ego. That was silly. Uh, I'm not going to argue that we absolutely need disc brakes, but it is a better system. It's a better system. And I think initially when they first came out, I think the systems weren't as good as they are now. Absolutely true. They've definitely evolved and gotten better. The other thing is people come to me all the time for bike buying advice. (laughs) You can, we can talk about whether that's, you know, a good use of their time or not, but people come to me all the time and they're like, do I, what would you do? Would you get disc brakes or would you not? 
And I said, look, I say to them, look, if you ride flats mostly and you don't ride in bad weather, if you don't ride in the winter, get a rim brake bike. It'll be lighter and faster and it'll work just fine for you. But if you're doing a lot of climbing and descending and you're riding in the winter uh, or the rain, uh, you're going to be happier with the disc brake bike. And I think that's it's, it's I think it's actually that simple. I, I totally and completely agree. I go back to Memphis and I wonder why anyone would have a road bike with disc brakes in Memphis. Right. You know, the, the fastest I've ever gone in Memphis on a road bike was coming off an overpass and I hit 37 miles an hour and I was killing myself to get there. You know, and right. the road was long and straight. Right. You know, radical braking was not something that was going to take place. Right. So... Yeah, that brings up a whole separate issue in that most of the country does not have the same uh, technical useful uh, utility uh, for disc brake bikes as, say, parts of Massachusetts or New sure. England and right. the Rockies. And yeah. so, yeah, that's a that's a whole separate thing that uh, I sort of just don't even want to look at. <laughs> well, the other thing to consider is that. Every bike purchase is aspirational. Mm, mm -hmm, Everyone mm -hmm. thinking about buying a new bike is thinking about doing new things on it or doing better things on it or doing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's hard not to look at something concrete like disc brakes and say, that's going to facilitate these better things that I want to do. Or it just fulfills this desire to upgrade technology. The bike looks different. I personally mm-hmm. would argue that you're, you, you will, you'll gain more from a good geometry and a, a good starting geometry and a solid fit than you will from a lot of the other aspects. But Totally agree. I, but, you know, people, if you're not going to do those things, you know, buying a disc brake road bike is a good thing to do. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing it. I, uh, it sounds like I am, but I, I think, you know... Get the best bike you can and ride it as ride it as good as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, in terms of improving someone's cycling experience, you can do a hell of a lot more with a great fit than you can any change in componentry. Right. And that's, you know, going back, just bringing it full circle. My road bike, as I said, it was built for me. Every time I get on it, I'm like. I am one with the bike and we go Mm -hmm. and do our thing together and it's magic. And so I have no desire to replace it. Yeah. Yeah. But in Uh, wintertime, I'll ride the gravel bike (laughs) even on a road ride. So there you have it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and one thing I do see uh, around here a whole lot is that as people have decided to replace uh, their road bikes, they're buying a gravel bike and then buying a second set of wheels, you know, so they've got one set of wheels with 28s and one set with 38s or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, I'm certainly aware that there are friends of mine who justified to their spouses, uh, you know, I want to buy this gravel bike so that I can ride these roads, knowing that they would not have been able to talk their spouse into letting them buy a new road bike just so they could get disc brakes. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Oh, you spouses. 
<laughs> Long suffering people, you. Yes. We should probably do a uh, poll just for spouses. I'd like that. Maybe next uh, week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, we're not here next week. We're not here next week. Yeah. <laughs> so the week after. Yes. Uh, yeah, everybody, we're, we have to take a, a short break next week, but uh, we will be back the following. So, um, all righty. Well, let's move on to Paceline Picks. So this week, not surprisingly, I'm picking Salt Stick Fast Chews. I haven't even heard of those. Well, you need, you, well, I don't know if you need I certainly needed. <laughs> so these are chewable electrolyte tablets. Basically, the, they're the panic button for, for uh, hydration-related <laughs> emergencies. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, because they're called salt stick, I was afraid they'd be like salt bombs to chew on. Like I envisioned uh-huh. just putting a load of salt in my mouth. Um, mm-hmm. And that seemed like a really unpleasant experience when I was already sweating buckets and like sweat running into my mouth anyway. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, they're sort of intensely tangy and sweet. Uh So I'm not saying it's not an intense mouth experience, but I am saying it's not what you think it's going to be. Salt stick comes in three forms, chewable tablets, capsules that you can just take, uh, like an ibuprofen, and drink Mm -hmm. mix. I prefer to keep my drink mix a bit mellower. Although, as I said, I've been doing double strength on the hottest days, and that's not the mellowest mix. Mm -hmm. So, but I've been packing these chewable tablets. Um, They go down fast. You know, you can pop two or three in your mouth at once, uh, chew them up in the space of 30 seconds, wash them down with whatever's in your bottle, and... I mean, for me, psychologically, they let me know I've injected something of an intensity that must be tipping the scales back in my favor. Uh (laughs) You know what uh I mean? Yeah. Um, And the the packets that they come in are resealable. Uh, uh, You get 10 tablets for three bucks. I've never eaten eaten more than three on any one ride. Okay. So it's a really economical way to save your day when things are skewing the wrong way. Hmm. It doesn't cost anything in terms of weight to carry. Um, you can you can get them at REI, uh, if not your local bike shop, but I highly recommend them. They also come in, you know, there's um, lemon lime and watermelon, and I think there's a peach flavor. Ooh. Yeah. Yummers. Yummers. Uh, do you remember <laughs> that there was a, uh, a gum from Gatorade called Gator Gum? Oh, yeah. You, did you ever have that back in the day? Oh, oh yeah. I was a fan that, of Gator Gum. Yeah, I liked it too. Um, is it is it intense the way that was intense? Like your mouth would suddenly just flood with saliva. Yeah, that's the, that is more or less exactly the experience. Huh. I mean, I'm not the same person I was when I was 14, but I, I mean, I am in some ways. I you know I still listen to Kansas. Um, <laughs> I kind of wonder if I might actually enjoy the salt stick fast chews. I, uh, yeah, it's imagine, um, imagine eating a sweet tart that, that, um, saved your, saved your bacon. It's sort of like that experience. I mean, something healthy that, uh, I also would be willing to do recreationally is, uh, well, uh, a, a not, not a common experience in my life. Yeah. 
Right. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, we can we can debate, you know, the merits of peanut butter, but, uh, you know, certainly, you know, those things that I'm most passionate about, you know, <laughs> Pinot Noir. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to argue that that's actually good for me. But these uh, I, I may need to go out and get these just just because. Um, yeah, I it's. um they have saved the day for me a few times, um, certainly on and off the bike, because I do some running and mm-hmm. I've done some running races where I was burning the candle pretty hard because it's a race and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and came up against the hard limit of what was happening. And I dropped three of those things into the tank all of a sudden. And then I was I was in action again you know they have that they have that um quality where you eat them and then like five minutes later you're like oh i just feel better wow that's pretty incredible yeah i i i i admire that um interesting i mean if you think about it what's going on your your blood pressure uh could be rising again you know what i mean Mm -hmm. you could be Mm -hmm. um your your muscles are now getting those minerals that they need in order to metabolize oxygen and do all that. Like all the functions are back, back right. from the brink. So, huh? Very cool. Yeah, I need so, to help them with marketing. But salt stick. <laughs> I think you just did. If you guys are out there, call me up. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard of the wave bar from Coefficient Cycling? I I've heard of it. I've held it, and I've spoken with um, I forget his name. The very nice man who makes it. Uh, uh, the the originator, the the doctor who was the originator, or Rick Sutton. Rick who, Sutton. Sorry, Rick. Ah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for those who don't know Rick's name, uh, Rick was the empresario who created the Sea Otter Classic. And has done some other very interesting things um, in the bike industry. Um, these days, he's consulting to to a few companies. Um, he's moved on from Coefficient, but got them off the ground rather nicely. Rick, I believe, is a subscriber to Cycling Independent. And may <sighs> actually, I, I was looking through the description, so he may be out there. Rick, if you're there, hi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he and I were actually on the phone just yesterday. Oh. Uh, he is... You know, of the many people in this industry, I not only like, but admire and respect. He's way up that list. Um, so Coefficient Cycling is a relatively new company, and they offer two different drop bars. One specifically aimed at gravel bikes and one more specifically for road bikes, though there are no um, den mothers there to make sure that you're using one for one and not for the other. Right. Uh, and you know, besides Rick, they've got some other really heavy hitters behind them. Uh, Pork McLinn, uh, who is one of the mo- foremost fit experts in the country, uh, was consulted and, uh, the design, um, has been influenced by his input. Uh, a while back I reviewed their gravel bar and have been now riding the road bar, uh, for a bit. And what makes this one different is, uh, from other bars, that is, is what they call swope. So the it's such a good word. I you know I love when people invent really useful uh, and onomatopoetic words. That's a word. Um, isn't that called a portmanteau, where yeah. two two words come together? Yeah, for the you word smash nerds? them together. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, it's not like what they do in German where they just add everything up and you end up with 36 letters and 14 syllables. Right. You know, a portmanteau is really nice because it drops out a few less than necessary letters. Yes. Swope. Uh, yeah, so the bar sweeps back as it drops. Um, and this, you know, to picture this, it's uh, uh, sweeping backward from the stem to where the bar turns forward for the levers. And again, it's also dropping uh, as it goes. So that the levers are literally lower than where the stem clamp is. Um, it's a super, super ergonomic shape. And uh, the road bar features a top that is flattened for better aerodynamics and also <laughs> improved hand comfort. And there's a forward positioned computer bridge, they call it, where you can mount your GPS unit. Um, and it also gives riders a really convenient little place to hook your thumbs, uh, which you can do and bring your elbows in and then get super arrow on the bike. Um, so it's it's a neat little position. I've spent some time there, uh, even though I'm not currently fast enough to make much use of that position. <laughs> <laughs> um, the bar is carbon fiber natch because shapes, um, and it comes in four widths, 38, 40, 42, and 44 centimeters wide. And those widths, uh, are measured center to center, uh, like most bars, but not all bars. I, why there are bars out there that are measured outside to outside that should be against some sort of rule that we can enforce. Uh, <laughs> Weights range from 310 grams at the low end for the 38 up to 325 grams um, for the 44 centimeter wide bar. The bars feature all internal routing, so they're really clean looking. Um, but I am going to personally attest that installation on these is not easy. Um, and perhaps even fair to say that it's frustrating um, the long and short being pay your shop to do it. If you get one, <laughs> pay your shop, tip your server. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. So my advice is if you're looking for a more comfortable bar to ride, uh, take a hard look at this one. I like them a lot. Um, and, uh, if you do talk to your shop, <laughs> um, it goes for $399. Uh, and we will have links to both of these products in our show notes. Um, well, that's a wrap of another episode of The Pace Line. Uh, so what is it you're up to next week, John? I am off. Why aren't we recording? <laughs> We're not recording because I'm going to be in the woods uh, in New Hampshire camping for Monday through Friday uh, with the family, which could turn mm. into like a purge situation for 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 lewis's leave how many come back we'll find out <laughs> i wasn't sure if you were talking about uh, purging yeah people or certain biological functions oh no no i hope not um <laughs> in, in that case we'll be i'll be back early and we'll be back on the air no uh i'll be <laughs> i'll be off in the woods with my family enjoying some hiking biking uh and general woods born merriment and in the purging scenario, since I can't seem to let go of this, uh, will you be the purger or the purgee? I might be the purgee. I could see that. Yeah. I have, I, I, you know, my family um, struggles with my ambitions once I get in the woods. 
I always want to go. <laughs> I always want to go do something that they're like. Mm, what about just tubing? <laughs> the right. river, Can't we can, just have fun? Yeah. Couldn't we just float along the river for an hour? No, yeah. kids. I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have going on? Uh, I've got a very fun weekend planned uh, ahead of me. Um, I meted someone recently and she's coming for a visit and uh, I'm just crazy excited. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. It is. It's a beautiful it thing. Yeah. So I might not actually ride bikes all that much this weekend. Um, and I, I'm not seeing a downside. No. <laughs> Life's many splendors. Yes. Uh, so before we go, I want to let you know about a new podcast that John is producing along with Steve Knievel of All Hail the Black Market. It's called Revolting. And I'm going to suggest that there's not truth in advertising. Um, um, it has the, the best tagline of any cycling podcast there is. A cycling podcast not actually about bikes. Um, despite that, it is a good listen. I can say that because uh, I am the person producing them. And so I hear the things that they talk about. And uh, I have been known to... Uh, do a, a literal lol as I've been mixing. <laughs> That's, it's all about the spit takes. That's what we're here for. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I keep the Windex pretty close to my monitor. Yeah. If you, if, you, <laughs> if you like cycling, but also skateboarding or punk rock or just long rambling stories with little point, check us out. <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, you know, pursuant to this, we are going to have some other new podcasts coming up. And so I look forward to making more announcements in this space soon. Keep those questions coming. You all send us great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.